0: We're going to look this morning at Psalm 119, and I'm going to start with that scripture reading and then pray. My name is Mike Aiken. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Community, and it's a joy and privilege to be able to deliver God's word to you here this morning. So let's look at Psalm 100. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Psalm 100, and we're going to look at the first five verses here. Read those verses. It is a psalm for giving thanks. Hear the word of the Lord here. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever in his faithfulness to all generations. This is God's infallible word, and let's pray. Lord, we are, we are thankful for this day that we can worship you in our spirit and worship you in truth. And we come before you, uh, just humbly bowing before you, recognizing that you alone are God. There are no other gods but you. You made us, you created us in your image, and we just give you praise that you have now uh, restored, you're restoring that image in us as we are united to Jesus Christ, our Savior And we want to give him praise this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help me to do that as we preach the word this morning, as I preach. And I I pray, Lord, for your people who are gathered here this morning. Uh, They have many different needs, and I pray that you would meet those needs for those who are um, maybe uh, suffering with an illness, uh, a loss of some sort. Uh, They're going through a trial. And I just pray for you, Lord, to bring them comfort and direction. And Lord, for all of us, no matter what stage of life we're in or uh, if we're in a grievous trial or not, I pray that, Lord, you would speak to us and awaken us. And I pray for those who may be here today that don't know you personally. I pray that you would open their hearts and draw them to yourself. And that you alone would receive all the glory. And we thank you for the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning is our last Sunday, can you believe this, of 2018. And we are going to look at an old catechism this morning. Uh, It's called the Heidelberg Catechism. It was first published in January of 1563 and was authored by a team of pastor scholars from the University of Heidelberg in Heidelberg, Germany. Uh, The main author is believed to be Zacharias Ursinus, and him and another reformer by the name of Caspar Olivianus. Uh, Quite Wait, names. By the way, if you're looking for names for your children, there you go. There's some possibilities. You might be asking, what is a catechism? A catechism is a question and answer tool that the church has used for a long time to teach children the doctrines of Scripture. Now, that's one purpose. But the second purpose, it was used as a sermon guide for pastors. And lastly... The purpose of the Heidelberg Catechism and other catechisms was to bring unity to the many different Protestant groups. And so, catechisms have a threefold purpose. I believe they're very valuable to this day. They're rich guides to help us in understanding good, rich theology, what the Bible teaches. And I, just on a personal note, I use them constantly. And I feel I will never, ever, I can never outgrow the catechism. We're going to look at questions one and two of what's called the Heidelberg Catechism. You may have never heard this before. I'm going to give you a brief overview. And we're going to ask, if this catechism ask a very important question for us this morning. Question number one is this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer to the catechism is this. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me This catechism is so personal. Notice it. It uses the first person pronoun, I. But I want you to notice something about the catechism. It's not asking the question, what is your comfort in life? That's not the question. What would we answer? Well, we find comfort in many things. Good food, drink, relationships, Music, movies, dramas. Uh, there was, uh, do you ever get stuck on a drama and you just can't wait to, you know, watch that drama? It's a weekly. Uh, I'm, I know I'm looking forward to um, Victoria, that'll be on PBS in the new year. So I find comfort in that. Or maybe it's a good novel. Uh, maybe it's those comfy pajamas you got for Christmas. Or, uh, Uh, a comfy comforter and you just, you know, love to put that on you and, and, you know, snuggle up to that and uh, watch something really good that, that you enjoy to watch. Those are things that bring us comfort in life. We all have them. But the question that the catechism is asking us is what is our only comfort in life and in death? Now, the word comfort in the original, this catechism was originally written in German, and it's the German word trost. And in the Latin, which was another translation of this catechism, is it was the Latin word consolatio. And you can see we get our word consolation from this or comfort from this word. But the basic idea of this word in the German was certainty, Protection and security. Certainty, protection, and security. So it's like this. That which is certain and that which protects us gives us comfort. And so the question really before us is, what is our real security in life and in death? Is it our retirement account? Is it our spouse? Our parents? Our children? Is it our friends? Is it our church? Maybe it's our job. Or is it your dog or your cat? Whatever pet you have, gerbil, fish. I think about health care. Maybe it's your, I got great health care. But we know these are not the answer. What is our only real security? Our only real security and comfort in life and in death, it is found in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, our God, our triune God. Our real security is not found in what we possess, but it is found in who possesses us us. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you belong to him. It is our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who sought us when we were his enemies and brought us to Christ. He is the great, as it's been said, the great hound of heaven so to speak, who came to seek and to save that which was lost, which we will learn next week, as we look at Luke's gospel again in chapter 19, with the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. But have you ever seen a beagle or a, a hound dog, you know, get a scent? And then they just their nose is to the ground, and they just keep on that scent until they find that object. They're persistent. That's, that's, in their, that's innate to them. Our God is a saving God. He has Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three persons have sought us out. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 verse 10, which we're going to learn next week, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, it is because God initiated your salvation It is God who drew you to himself, and you trusted in Christ. Yes. I like what Jesus said in John chapter 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And in verse 44, this is John chapter 6, now verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Just think of this truth, my beloved, here. You now belong to Jesus. And so real security is found not in what we own, but in being owned by God, being gods. I I love Kevin DeYoung, and I'm going to give you a quote here. He gives very clear insights into this matter of God owning us as being our only comfort in life and in death. And this is a book I highly recommend. I took this from Kevin DeYoung's book, The Good News We Almost Forgot, which is a a really nice commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism. Listen to the quote here. And I don't believe, it's not gonna be on the screen. We live in a world where we expect to find comfort in possessions, pride, power, and position. But the catechism teaches us that our only true comfort comes from the fact that we don't even belong to ourselves. De Young says, "How countercultural and counterintuitive. We can endure suffering, listen to these words here, we can endure suffering and disappointment in life and face death and the life to come without fear of judgment." Not because of what we've done, or what we own, it's not because of that, or who we are, but because of what we do not possess. That really stood out to me. It's because of what we do not possess, namely our own selves. This is countercultural, is it not? Our culture says this. It's my life. It's my life and I can live it any way I want. You and I can relate to that. We're so self-absorbed. Don't, don't think you're not. We, are, we all are. And I've noticed as I read the culture and listen to the culture and listen to the music of the culture and enjoy it. But I'm not listening without discernment, hopefully. I've noticed noticed this, just take this little test. I've noticed the words, my life, come up often in our songs. This is just in the last five years that I've noticed. Oh, many years. In fact, I'm going to give you an illustration here. Uh, Lyrics from a contemporary song, Uh, from Bon Jovi. Uh, I've heard it many times, so as I read this, I I don't want to think about the music, okay? But this is how it starts. This ain't a song for the brokenhearted. No silent prayer for the faith departed. I ain't going to be just a face in the crowd. You're going to hear my voice when I shout it out loud. And then the refrain, it's my life. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. My heart is like an open highway. Like Frankie said, I did it my way. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. I just want to stop here. I've heard this song many times, but... Have you ever listened to songs, and then when you look at the lyrics, you say, Oh, I didn't catch that. Uh, like Frankie said, I did it my way. And then the second uh, part of it goes like this. This is for the ones who stood their ground. It's for Tommy and Gina, who never backed down. I looked, did a little research. Who's Tommy and Gina? Basically, what the group would say, it's just it's you and I. It's, it's anybody who stood their ground. Tomorrow's getting harder, says the song. Make no mistake, luck luck ain't enough. You've got to make your own breaks. It's my life, and it's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. My heart is like an open highway. Like Frankie said, I did it my way. I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. And then it ends with this. And then the the refrain, It's My Life, they just sing it a couple more times. But you better stand tall when they're calling you out. Don't bend. Don't break, baby. Don't back down. Boy, there's a lot in this song. There's things that we can redeem from it. I like that it's not saying be passive, be active. Uh, It's worthy of a Sunday school class sometime, right? But we're going to move on. Uh, we have to ask ourselves, you know, I also think of this commercials uh, in the past that have say, you know, uh, I think beer commercials, you know, just, you know, live for now, grab all the gusto you can get, you know. And, and so everyone has a philosophy of life and ours as Christians is a unique philosophy of life found in scripture found in God's revelation. And so what do we ground the way we live our lives? It's the fact that God is our creator. And by being our creator, God owns all things. As Psalm 100 teaches us here, it's made it very clear. We're going to be looking here at verse 3. We're really accountable to God because he made us. And that's a principle that's all throughout scripture. But verse 3 of Psalm 100 tells us this. No. It's in the imperative. It's, in other words, it's a command. God is telling us, you need to know something. This is something you ought to do. You need to know that the Lord, Yahweh, whenever you see in your Bibles, Lord, all caps, have you noticed this? When it's ever all caps, That is God's covenant name, Yahweh. And and he is God. He is Elohim. The, The word for God there is the Hebrew word then Elohim. He is Elohim. It is he who made us. He created us. And we are his. Personalize this. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 100. Now, by virtue of creation, yes. And, and we understand this in the human realm, do we not? I think this will make sense for us. Uh, Carolyn, uh, my wife, she she loves to garden. And uh, she loves to see things grow. And we have a little plot of ground in front of our uh, garden house. And there's some some years where it's vegetables. One year it was, uh, we had like uh, String beans or, or the beans that go up the stock i 'm probably misspeaking here, but we had to create this like this fence and these poles and and uh, crossways and so forth, and you have these beans that are growing and and so you know she has the freedom to do that she owns that property there she can she can do that, and then there 's going to be other years where it 's just going to be uh, not vegetables, maybe just beautiful flowers, and uh, or maybe it's a variety. But um, I got to thinking also just think of ownership with your, your vehicle or your bicycle. Uh, maybe you kids got a bicycle for Christmas, you can, you can paint that bicycle. Any color you want or that car that you have, any color you want. I don't think there's a law that says if, if you have a blue car and you want to make it another color, you can't make it another color, right? You own it. Ownership. God made us. And we live in a culture, we've always had this in our culture. Ever since man has fallen in sin, we want to do it our own way. Also, with regards to vehicles... Um, I had written down here, uh, you can put as many bumper stickers on the back of your vehicle as you want to. Uh, So if you want to put 20 bumpers, you own the car. Do whatever you want. God owns us, and we're going to give an account to God. But you're loved by God, beloved, and you are his sheep. And he cares for you. And he shepherds you. And he's a good shepherd. He's a good father. And he leads us. He feeds us. And he protects us. These are the three things of shepherding. And I I like what Ben, as he preached last week, there were so many good things that that Ben had in his message as we looked at Isaiah 42. But one of the things that stood out as I wrote down in my notes He said, God delights in us, and he delights in us because he delights in Jesus. And you and I, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we are in union. We are in a faith union with Jesus Christ, and so God delights in us. And as he delights in us, he's a good shepherd. He's going to make sure that you're cared for, you're fed in every way, physically and spiritually. He protects you. He protects us. He leads us. We're to follow him. And we need to be reminded, I need to be reminded of this truth often because I get discouraged. And we live in a culture where we're going to see more and more evil that occurs. I hope not, but it seems that's the trend in our culture. And so I want you to know, beloved, that you also belong to Jesus because he bought you with his blood. He came we just celebrated Christmas he came to redeem us the baby came humbly to redeem us and i love 1st corinthians chapter 6 verses 18 through 20 the bible tells us there to flee sexual sin this is the context of 1st corinthians this will be up on the screen 1st corinthians chapter 6 verses 18 through 20 it tells us to flee from sexual immorality every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know, verse 19, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So believers have the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God. Notice the next part here in verse 19. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And that price, as we look to Scripture, we know it's the precious blood of Christ. So glorify God in your body. And I love what John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29. It's Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he said to the people, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ is the Lamb who has taken away our sin And so the catechism is leading us through the work of Jesus Christ. We we belong to him. He has bought us with his blood. We're redeemed. And redemption means that we are delivered by a price that was paid. Jesus has done that on the cross. And that's a great, there's a great mystery there how that was paid. But we know that God's wrath was satisfied. The price, the ransom price was paid to God the Father. All justice was, was satisfied, but we once were in bondage to our sinful nature, and we were in spiritual prison until Jesus set us free. I like what John 8, when Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, they said, we're not in slavery to anyone, but Jesus made it clear, if you sin, you're a slave to sin, And again, Ben's passage last Sunday in Isaiah 42 told us that the Messiah would set prisoners free who were in dark dungeons. They were in darkness. And that speaks of our spiritual bondage. And I think we we need to see that we once were in bondage. And I love movies where people who are wrongly in prison are set free. Or like the movie Unbroken where... That's a World War II context there. It's a true story where Louis Camperini is freed from prison camp, but the horrible story preceding that, and then that wonderful end where the war ends, and Louis Camperini survived and is freed. You and I were in horrible bondage. I don't... May God show us how bad that was in in Jesus. We sing loudly because Jesus has set us free. And because we belong to Jesus, he continues to sovereignly watch over us. He determines all that is to happen to us. Uh, The various trials that we experience are all a part of God's sovereign plan for us. So as we close out 2018 and look to 2019, we need to be reminded of these truths. We may experience the loss of health, the loss of a loved one. Maybe you have already experienced these. Or the loss of a job. Or just any trial that you faced. And just be reminded. I want you to be encouraged and reminded that, that Jesus said, Nothing can happen to us without it being the will of our Father. And he says this in Matthew, if you want to know where, Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. The point is this, God is involved in it all. And we have seen this in our recent sermon series on Job. We spent 10 weeks looking at Job where a righteous and blameless man suffers severe trial with the loss of his children. He lost all of his children, 10 of them. He lost his possessions, great wealth, and he lost his health. And his wife said, curse God and die. And Job struggled. And and I love the picture there. It's realistic. This is a man that really struggled. We wouldn't have done any better than Job. And so I, I bring this up as a reminder for us. And then the Catechism reminds us that Christ also assures us that all these trials will work for our salvation, as Romans 8:28 says, "And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose." Do we believe this? God is working His good purposes through our difficulties, our trials. And God uses these trials to mold us into the likeness of Jesus. Again, I hearken back to our series on Job, where that's a reminder that God is causing all things to work together for good to those who love God. Lastly, the Catechism tells us in question one, and that that answer to question one is long, hard to memorize. I tried to memorize it. But we're assured of eternal life by Jesus Christ who has given us the Holy Spirit. As Romans 8, 9 says, You, speaking to the believer, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. It is by the Holy Spirit that we have the assurance of our salvation. I love what Romans 8, 16 says. It is the Spirit himself who bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And it is Christ by his Holy Spirit who makes us willing. Not only does he give us assurance, and this Holy Spirit is working in us to live for Jesus Christ. As it says from that moment on, He didn't, he gives us a new heart, and he didn't purchase us with his blood and then say to us, now, you know, I've given you life insurance, I've given you eternal life, now live however you want. No, for those whom God has saved, he gives them the spirit who works in them and gives them a desire, and that desire that you and I have to live for Christ. Thank God for that. And that's an evidence that we belong to him. Now this is all, the catechism is very rich. This is very quick what I'm doing here this morning. But it's very comprehensive. It's a look at the work of Christ for us. His work on the cross and then his work that he continues to do in our life until he comes back. To resurrect our bodies and to judge the living and the dead. And Christ has done this for those who belong to him. Now I have one last question we're going to spend less time on this, but the question is this How can I experience this comfort? How can you experience this comfort? And so, this second question the way the catechism words it is this way What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, How I am to thank God for such deliverance. Now this second question is outlining the rest of the catechism. So if you're wondering how big the catechism is, it's not that large. It is 129 questions. So question 3 to 129 is being dealt with in this second question, which can be remembered with three words. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. These are the three things. These are like the Roman's road. So if you look at the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, you see Paul deals with guilt in chapters 1 through 3. Then he deals with grace in chapters 3 through 11. And then how to live a life of gratitude to God. Gratitude in chapters 12 through 16. So to come to Christ and to have his comfort, it is important that we see our guilt before God, who requires of us to keep his law perfectly. God relates to us by way of covenant. When God told Adam and Eve he could eat from every tree in the garden except one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God was speaking to and this is how I'm defining covenant. God speaking and binding his image bearers, Adam and Eve. So they bear the image of God. God commands them. You can eat from all these trees except one. Because Adam and Eve disobeyed God's word. In other words, they disobeyed his covenant. God said they would surely die. And they did begin to die. And they were separated that day spiritually from God and began to die physically. Physically. But God the good news is God redeemed them. But the bad the sad thing is they no longer enjoyed union and communion with God who walked with them in the garden. Now Adam and Eve and all humanity all their posterity you and I are when we are born we are in Adam and we are guilty in Adam. We're born sinners in Adam. And God's law shows us God's character and his will for our lives. And it leads us, the law does, to Jesus for our salvation. The law was never intended. The Ten Commandments were never intended to save us. And as Galatians 3 says, the law is our schoolmaster which leads us to Christ. And now I want to personalize this. My prayer for people that I know and interact with, my neighbors, my friends, my family, is for them to know their great need of God's mercy found in Jesus Christ. They, they need to know that they have a great need. They need to know that they stand, when they die, that they're going to be judged and they are guilty unless they move from being in Adam to in Christ. And, and I just, I, I, I want to burden you this morning to pray for people. And, and, and if you do not know Christ, my prayer for you is that you would see your need. I think many people in our culture are like the man or woman who has a fatal d- disease and doesn't know it. Until it's too late. And I say thank, thank you Lord. Thank you for the conviction. Of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer. Is for people's lives. That they would be. That they would be changed. That they would see their guilt before God. And turn to Christ. Again I'm going to close with Kevin DeYoung. A long, a long quote here. But an excellent quote. Where he is so helpful in understanding our guilt. God's grace. And gratitude. He says all three things are necessary. If we don't know about our sin. Which brings a true sense of guilt. We will be too confident in our abilities to do right. And make the world a better place. We will ignore our most fundamental problem. Which is not a lack of education. That's not our fundamental problem says DeYoung. I agree with him. It's not a lack of opportunity. It's not a lack of resources. But what's the fundamental problem? It's sin and it's attendant misery. But if we didn't know how we are set free from this sin and misery, which comes through God's grace, it's the grace of God that sets us free, we will try to fix ourselves in futility or give up altogether in despair. And if we don't know how to thank God, showing gratitude for such deliverance, we will live in a self-centered, self-referential bubble, which is not why God saved us from our sin and misery in the first place. If Christians would hold to all three things, that is, to guilt, to grace, and to gratitude, and not just one or two, We would be saved, says DeYoung, from a lot of poor theology and bad ideas. Now, why do I give you this today from God's Word? I believe this is scriptural. I give it to you because I believe this is a great framework for your life: how to live, how to live the rest of this year, how to live into 2019. I just want to say, when we come to Christ, we do do so by grace, through faith. We don't do it by our efforts, by our works. Our good works are important as a byproduct of our faith, but they don't save us, they evidence our faith. And I want to turn our attention again to Psalm 100, where we're to live as Christians a life of gratitude. Psalm 100 is a psalm of thanksgiving. Verse 1 tells the whole earth to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Verse 2 tells us to serve the Lord with gladness and sing joyful songs to Him. And when we looked at verse 3 very briefly, we saw that the Lord told us we're to know that He is the Lord and recognize that He made us. We are His sheep, the sheep of His pasture, who He cares for deeply. And verse 4, it tells us to give thanks to the Lord and bless His name. And why? Why? Verse 5 answers that. Because the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Now to close our time together, what I'd like us to do is to read the answer in unison to the first and second questions of the catechism. So it's going to be up on the screen. And the first question is this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Now I'm going to ask us to read this answer in unison, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. to live for him. And then question two, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And if you would say this with me, three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. And then lastly, we're going to look at Psalm 100. And I'd like us to also say this together in unison. Let's start here. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us As I pray, uh, in closing prayer, the band will come up and play the final song. Lord, we're a a thankful people. We've been reminded by your word that you are good, that your steadfast love is forever. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. Lord, as we close out by your grace, by your goodness and your power this year of 2018, uh, we just bow before you as as your humble people to say, thank you, Lord, for giving us your word, for giving us the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that was ever given. I pray, Lord, for, for us as your people, Help us to treasure you above all things, Lord. May we love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. We thank you for the reminder that all things work together for our salvation, for our good, and for your glory. We're, we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to bring about change in people's hearts, Lord, as we as we continue to invite our neighbors to to come to you and our friends and our family as we seek in our own way to just lead them to you, Lord. We pray for you, Lord, to, uh, to just continue to draw these people to yourself, Lord. Use us, we pray, in the year of 2019. And thank you for loving us. And thank you for being with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.